is Sunday, October 15th. Welcome to another edition of the Last Negroes at Harvard Daily Podcast. We have more coverage of the war in Gaza. In the last few days, more bad news from Gaza. Here are Kyle Kalinske and Crystal Ball. All right, guys, the bad news keeps rolling in um, out of Gaza and the collective reaction to uh, the Hamas terror attack the other day has entered just flat out deranged genocidal territory. I don't think that's an overstatement, even in the slightest. That's not even close to hyperbole. So uh, first of all, tell them the what the State Department memo said that U.S. politicians, the words U.S. politicians should avoid when talking about this conflict. Right. So the Biden administration sent an email to um, this to people who work at the State Department, so America's diplomats, saying that they do not want any press materials to contain the phrases de-escalation or ceasefire, to call for ending the violence or bloodshed, or uh, to restore calm. I think those are the three phases, phrases. So you're not allowed to call for an end to the bloodshed right now as an American diplomat. They don't want any press materials, anything going out from the State Department that says that. Now, since we last recorded a video, too, it's been confirmed that Israel used white phosphorus. Uh, That's a chemical weapon that's illegal, and of course it's targeting Gaza, where it's mostly civilians who live there. Um, It was, there was rumors of that early on, but it wasn't verified. In fact, before I did my last show, I saw the rumors, but I didn't want to bring it up yet because it wasn't verified. Now it's verified. Human Rights Watch confirmed it based on videos. Yeah. And so there's a handful of U.S. politicians. I believe it's a grand total of 13 who didn't sign on to a congressional letter that basically says unequivocally we stand with Israel no matter what they do. Um, and I saw Ro Khanna did some commentary. Honestly, it was pretty disappointing. It was it was very, you know, we stand with Israel unequivocally um, and, you know, they need to go after Hamas. And he says, but they should be surgical, which is like. Okay, agree, fair enough. But the issue here is that they are not at all being surgical. You're doing a medieval-style siege of Gaza where 2.3 million people live, where almost half the population is 15 years old or younger. People don't have water. They don't have food. They don't have electricity. Now they said, hey, 1.1 million Gazans, you got to flee from the north and go to the south of Gaza. By the way, in the process of doing that, there are rumors, this is unconfirmed as of right now, but there are rumors that there were even some airstrikes of people who were listening to Israel and And saying we're going to go from the north to the south. And I think the part that's most disheartening to me is like from the Biden administration, it's a total like, yep, we're just going to sign off on whatever you do, Israel. Well, not only that, but uh, Karine Jean-Pierre got asked about uh, Rashida Tlaib and others calls for a ceasefire. And she said that those calls were repugnant and shameful. To call for a ceasefire is repugnant. I mean, just just imagine that. And that's what's driving me crazy too, Kyle, is like even many of the organizations that are calling for Israel to abide by international law are not acknowledging the fact that they are already committing war crimes. Like we are way beyond the point of being like, hope it's surgical. They've already dropped more bombs on Gaza this tiny, densely packed territory, then we would drop an entire year in Afghanistan. 
just to give you a sense of how surgical they're being here. You already have hundreds of children who have been killed in this. So we're way beyond the point of being like, hey, Israel, don't do any war crimes. It's happening. And you have the Israeli president, Isaac Herzog, out and out justifying collective punishment of civilians saying that, hey, they could have they could have risen up and overthrown uh, Hamas, Hamas, which took power, he says, in a violent coup d'etat, which, by the way, we were involved with helping to spark. But anyway, um, he says they could have risen up and overthrown Hamas. Therefore, they are not innocent. Ken Klippenstein pointing out on Twitter, very similar, very similar to the logic and the rationalization that Osama bin Laden used around 9-11. Yeah. And by the way, it's also the sort of logic that Hamas would use to justify the murder of Israeli innocent civilians by saying, hey, you know, they support this apartheid, genocidal, ethno-state government. So, hey, they're collectively guilty as well. There are times, keep going, there are times where I've done my show where I felt like, I don't even know why I'm doing my show. The things I'm saying are obvious. In a moment like right now, I feel the exact opposite because my takes are very like, okay, war crimes are bad. Terrorism is bad. Civilian casualties are bad. And it feels like you're standing up against a tsunami of insanity when you say those things. And also, look, it, it occurred to me today, perhaps I should have thought of this earlier, but like without a doubt, Joe Biden holds all of the power in this situation. We give Israel billions of dollars every single year. We give them weapons. We give them Iron Dome. Right? Uh, you know, Israel has a number of trade partners that we're allies with. If we wanted to, we could say to them, you know what? Uh, this, it's, this is ending not only these hostilities, but also here's a peace deal. I don't care what you have to say, and I don't care what you have to say. This is what we're going to do. You can come out and say you're against it, but guess what? We have the biggest military in the world. We have all the money. We have all the weapons. You take, get our support. We're going to cut off all your support. We're going to take away Iron Dome if you don't agree to these conditions. And we're going to solve this thing once and for all. A U.S. president could do that if they want to do that, if they have the will, if they want to deal with the headache. And, of course, it's the exact opposite. It's rah-rah Israel. When they're in the midst of massacring civilians, it's just like, go ahead. That's, that's fine. And you know what, Crystal? We didn't learn a thing from 9-11 and the no. war on terror. No. Not a thing. This Not is the exact thing. same trap. You had 9-11 terror attacks, which was, her they were horrendous, they were hideous, thousands of innocent civilians were, were killed. And our reaction to that was, well, let's go kill some civilians ourselves. Let's spend $7 trillion, let's have thousands of our own soldiers die, let's enrich Raytheon and Lockheed Martin, you know, let, let's go kill civilians because we want revenge, we want retribution. It's all about our feelings at the moment, it's all about emotion. And it, we didn't learn anything. It's the exact same thing we're witnessing it now. It's like a collective delusion. And it's incredible to watch. It's really disheartening. It's absolutely disgusting. I have no words. David Hurst, editor of Middle East Eye, says that the international community has given Israel the right to commit war crimes. If anyone is guilty for the bloodshed that's going on, it is the international community, particularly Britain. The international community has given the greenest of green lights to the Israeli army to do what it wants. And that means the freedom to commit war crimes. You'll see Western values as they actually operate, raining down the bombs on completely innocent Gazan civilians, whether they're supporters of Hamas, 
Fatah, whether they're civilians, they're going to die and are dying in their thousands. Where are Western values there? If there's blood on anyone's hands, it's on those who say Israel has a right to defend itself. Israel has the perfect right to defend itself. Israel has a right to defend itself. Israel must have that, does have that right to defend herself. Israel has an absolute right to defend itself. Israel has a right to self-defense. This is not the whole story. It's not the defense of Israel. It is the expansion of Israel and it is the creation of an apartheid regime even more severe than the one that happened in South Africa. Israel says it's fighting an existential war and it has compared what Hamas did to a Holocaust. Half my family died in the Holocaust. There's no comparison. From a Palestinian perspective, you have to realize that Israel was the lords, the masters of the land. They controlled all your movements. They controlled how much you ate. They controlled who you married. It's the one that decides when to attack. This is a country used to total control over one half of the population, and it lost that control. And it lost that control wildly. I'm appalled by some of the things that happened. Desperation turned into savagery, and I will use that word about what happened at Kafar Azar or the music festival that took place where unarmed festival goers were shot like ducks. These scenes are unknown to the current generation of Israelis, and the shock this has produced, the sudden loss of confidence in its star performer, which is its army and its intelligence services, cannot be underestimated. That shock has now turned to anger. That anger has now turned to a unholy desire to kill Gazans. I think now it's the time that we need to erase Gaza. We gotta wipe them off the fucking that's map. It, I'm walking about for every fucking plasma like a parking lot. Kill Palestinians, all of them! There's a kafar azar happening every night in Gaza. Women and children buried under rubble. There is absolutely apocalyptic scenes going on there. The Israeli Air Force deliberately targeting blocks, individual families, and wiping them out with precision weapons. And this is happening now to one family after another. I don't think Israel, and in particular the Israeli army, can give people lectures on brutality, particularly directed at children. It happens all the time in the so-called stable peace. There were 34 children killed so far this year by soldiers in the West Bank. So there is butchery and there's barbarity on both sides. The problem is what's taking place in Gaza, which is truly apocalyptic, is done on an industrial scale. And by the time this comes out, the death toll will mount and mount. Yoav Gallant, the Israeli defense minister, the man who said that Palestinians are human animals, said Israeli forces will not be held accountable for anything they do. So all the past rules have been torn up and Israel is going for the maximum number of Gazan casualties. And that's what the international community is allowing Israel to do. They have given Netanyahu the green light and an unlimited time to mount a ground invasion of Gaza. Gazans have tried to break out of their open-air prison before. It happened on the day in which Donald Trump's son-in-law was signing the ceremony that transferred the official American embassy to Jerusalem. On that very, very day, you had Palestinians unarmed who were gunned down, demonstrating right next to the fence. They didn't break out of the fence. They were simply being shot at, rather like ducks, with the most sophisticated weapons. When that demonstration happened, Gazans learned a lesson that the next breakout that they do would have to be armed.
Hamas is ISIS. Hamas is very, very different from ISIS, and actually the two were at war with each other, in which there were quite a few dead bodies. There's no analytical comparison between Hamas and ISIS, and the main difference between them is that although the Hamas is an Islamist organization, an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood, Hamas is a resistance group dedicated to ending the occupation. And this still is a dispute and a conflict over land and not religion. Having said that, Hamas called its attack on southern Israel the Al-Aqsa flood for a reason. Al-Aqsa is being invaded and attacked all the time. Al-Aqsa isn't just their third holiest site for Islam. It's also a national symbol for Palestine. This sacred turf is actually being taken away piecemeal. And again, the West is letting them do this. This was the reason for Hamas saying enough is enough. But there were lots of other reasons as well. If you can imagine it, 16 years in an open-air prison with the electricity controlled or rationed, food rationed, 60% unemployment, settler attacks on Palestinian villages protected by the army, which Israelis themselves describe as pogroms, a total impossibility of a political solution or even a national unity government. And that suited Israel absolutely fine. When they were demonstrating about democracy in Israel, no one was talking about the obvious elephant in the room, which was an apartheid regime for half of the population, the Palestinian population, neither left nor right, were bothered about it. And that too is an ingredient into what actually happened here. Because the message that was being given by Israel to the Palestinians is, you don't matter, we can do it without you. We can control you and we've forgotten about the Palestinian state. No one is interested in it. Just days before this attack happened was the imminence of a normalization deal between Saudi Arabia and Israel. And Netanyahu got up in the United Nations General Assembly waving a map that eradicated Palestine completely and saying, We'll build a new corridor of peace and prosperity that connects Asia through the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Israel, to Europe. This is an extraordinary change, a monumental change. Reversing the logic of the last possibility of an agreement on a two-state solution, which is in 2002, which was called the Arab Peace Initiative. You've got Israel that's turning the screw all the time and encroaching. There are now 700,000 settlers. It's impossible to put Palestinian state, and everyone knows it. But a two-state solution is cynically is the policy of all European governments and America. It's a policy that can't now possibly exist. And that is the situation that the Palestinians are facing. Now what the Hamas attack has done is to say, I'm sorry, we're here. You cannot ignore us. Now they've done it in a brutal way. They have definitely committed crimes against humanity. But the Palestinians, who would not necessarily support Hamas at all, would say, what the hell else do we do? And that's what's happening all over the place to a new generation of Palestinians. And this is the fundamental problem of Israel thinking that it can wipe Gaza out. It can wipe Gaza out. It can kill 10,000 people, 20,000 people. It cannot kill the Palestinian cause. Hamas is a complicated organization to describe. It has various wings. There is a faction of Hamas that controls Gaza, and there is Mohammed al-Dif, the head of the Qassam Brigade, named after a Syrian preacher who 
turned to resistance under the British mandate. He was killed by the British in a forest outside Jenin. What the West and Israel permanently misunderstands about the nature of Palestinian resistance was that his name and example lived on. If Israel now succeeds in eradicating the military leadership, the Qassam brigades of Gaza, and kills them all, what do you think is going to happen to the memory that they leave behind? Yes, they can level Gaza. They can reduce the whole thing to a part of rubble. They can kill 100,000 people and they can say, job done. And they can even defeat Hezbollah. But what do you think is going to happen to the memory of all those dead in a new generation that will break out with even stronger force in 20 or 30 years time? That's history. That's what's happened before. Resistance, arm resistance, has been crushed many times. It was crushed in 1948. It was crushed in 1969. It was crushed in 1973. It's been crushed regularly. And what has happened? Hamas is now much, much stronger than previous iterations of it. So there's always going to be, whoever you call them, a very strong element of Palestinians who say the only way of changing the situation is by armed resistance until they are involved in proper negotiations and a peace deal and a calm and an exchange of prisoners. But if Israel thinks that they can wipe out Hamas and wipe out the Palestinian resistance, history tells us they are completely wrong. And all we are doing now is setting the seas for an even more powerful round of resistance in one or two decades to come. How do we stop the violence? We stop the violence by reversing course, by realizing that the Palestinians are people, that there's always going to be resistance, whether it's Hamas, whether it's anyone else. Whatever they call themselves, they are not going to be chucked off their land. There is not going to be another Nakba. They're going to stay there, whatever, and they're going to die on that land. The only way out of this incredible cul-de-sac that we've got ourselves into is to stop giving Israel the green light, is to enforce negotiations with a broadly representative Palestinian national unity government that allows Palestinians to elect their own leaders, that lifts the siege on Gaza and lifts the siege on all the other Palestinian enclaves in the West Bank, and that you start a process of sharing the land from the river to the sea between the two peoples. And this has got to be done with a realization in Israel that there is no end to this until they fundamentally reverse course. The alternative media in a crisis like this is really important because it provides a different voice to the voice that you're getting on the BBC, on the ITN, on Sky, that is showing a one-sided horror at what's going on with Hamas and a blanket support for Israel without really troubling themselves with what's going on to Palestinian civilians. Australian author and journalist Caitlin Johnstone says that the world is being blinded to what's happening in Gaza. Here is her essay read by Tim Foley. The world is being blinded to what's happening in Gaza. Great efforts are being made to hide what's happening in Gaza from the outside world, both by Israel and its Western allies. Israel's Minister of Communications announced on Friday that all Internet services in Gaza would be cut off on Saturday. CNN reports that Internet services there have already been plummeting for the last week. Electronic Intifada director Ali Abunima recently said on Twitter that he hasn't been able to reach any of his contacts in Gaza for hours. 
Even before the internet was cut off, it had already been getting harder and harder for people in Gaza to get information to the outside world, after Israel cut the enclave off from electricity as part of its complete siege on the civilian population. The outlet Middle East Eye reports that it lost contact with two of its journalists in Gaza on Friday. One of them, a reporter named Maha Husseini, posted a video before losing contact in which she said, This might be my last video, as my phone battery is dying while we're facing an almost complete blackout. As usual, Israel has also been targeting members of the press. A Reuters journalist was killed, and six others from Reuters, AFP, and Al Jazeera were injured by IDF artillery fire in southern Lebanon on Friday. Outlets like the New York Times and even Reuters have refrained from acknowledging the perpetrator of the attack. But Al Jazeera attributes the casualties to shelling by Israeli forces, citing witness testimony. BBC journalists were also held at gunpoint and physically assaulted by Israeli soldiers in Tel Aviv, and it's probably worth mentioning that these reporters were specifically from BBC Arabic and had Arabic names. Efforts to blind the world to Israel's crimes are, of course, not limited to Israel. The EU has begun exerting pressure on Twitter to begin censoring content on the Israel-Palestine issue in accordance with new Digital Services Act regulations in order to avoid receiving penalties. The day after receiving a 24-hour deadline to address illegal content and disinformation, hundreds of, quote, accounts linked to Hamas were reportedly removed from the platform. We're meant to simply take it on faith that these accounts were indeed linked to Hamas and not simply deemed guilty of wrongthink. Efforts to spread awareness of Israel's crimes via public demonstrations have also been getting the blindfold treatment in the West. France has issued a blanket ban on all pro-Palestinian protests. Germany has been banning specific pro-Palestine protests and groups, and has issued a total ban on demonstrations deemed supportive of Hamas, and the Berlin Public Prosecutor's Office has criminalized the use of the phrase, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. In a new report from Mint Press News titled Propaganda Blitz, how mainstream media is pushing fake Palestine stories. Alan McLeod documents how the Western media have been further obfuscating public perception into what's happening in Gaza by pushing brazen atrocity propaganda and deceitfully framing the issue in a way that's wildly biased in favor of Israel's information interests. So you can see that in every possible way, the world's vision into what's happening in Gaza has been obstructed, manipulated, and outright hidden. This is happening for the same reason witnesses to mafia crimes tend to go missing. It's easier to get away with murder when there's nobody who saw you do it. This is, after all, happening as Israel prepares to ramp up its aggressions even further, and as Israeli President Isaac Herzog asserts that there are no innocent civilians in Gaza because they didn't forcibly overthrow Hamas. It is an entire nation out there that is responsible, Herzog told the press on Friday. It is not true, this rhetoric about civilians not being aware, not involved. It's absolutely not true. They could have risen up. They could have fought against that evil regime which took over Gaza in a coup d'etat. The worse Israel makes itself look with its own actions, the more forceful it and the nations who are aligned with it will get at obstructing and manipulating public perception of those actions. The more brazen Israel's criminality becomes the more shrill and vitriolic its defenders will become. 
the more iron-fisted government interference and public opposition will get, and the more hidden what's happening in Gaza will become. Internet blackouts, the war on journalism, propaganda, influence operations, bans on demonstrations, and online censorship are all happening for the same reason. To keep the public from forming a truth-based understanding of what's happening in Gaza, because if the public did form a truth-based understanding of what's happening in Gaza, they wouldn't consent to what's happening there. And that is it for this edition of the Last Negroes at Harvard Daily Podcast. I'm Kent Garrett. You can hear more of our podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Our podcast also stream on WYOXradio.org every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time.